0: Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Ayelet Goldhaber. Ayelet is a New York-based registered dietitian specializing in pediatric and family-focused nutrition. She believes that creating a nurturing and pleasant eating environment is key for maximizing nutrition and fostering healthy attitudes surrounding food. Ayelet focuses on implementing strategies to meet each client's unique and individual nutrition goals from newborn to young adult and whole family. She practices family style counseling, an approach to counseling taking into consideration all of the factors going on in one's life. She currently has a virtual private practice where she sees clients from all over the country. In the episode, Islet shares common misconceptions about feeding babies, toddlers, and kids, creative ways to introduce new foods and vegetables to picky eaters, her thoughts on all of the fried foods on kids' menus, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite boozy resources with you. Dry Farm Wines is a direct-to-consumer natural wine delivery service. Their wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free and lower in sulfites and alcohol. Every single bottle of dry farm wines is also made with organic grapes, free from all industrial additives, and fermented with 100% wild native yeast. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wines, even top-rated conventional wines give me headaches and just make me feel overall gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked. To get a bottle of natural wine for a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment. One more thing, if you've been enjoying what you hear on the Health Investment Podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write an Apple Podcast review. Reviews not only provide me with great feedback, but they also help the podcast gain traction and get discovered by new listeners. To leave a review, simply visit thehealthinvestment.com slash review. It only takes about five minutes to do, and I can't thank you enough for your support. All right, it's time to hear from Iolette. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson. Certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no nonsense, research backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long term, have the high energy you crave and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Islet. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so happy to have you on. And we were just talking about you living in New York City, my favorite home of mine for 12 years, and I'm envious that you're still there. So, Thanks for hopping on, especially because it's late your time. Really appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having
1: me. Um, you know, we'll say hi to New York for you. It's kind of a strange place these days. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. That's what I've heard from all of my friends who still live there. Sounds like it's kind of coming back-ish. It
1: definitely is. It feels like the last week with the nice weather, everyone is kind of coming alive, the kids are happier.
0: The grownups are happier. So we're definitely making progress. I'm sure. I can't even imagine. I mean, my husband and I, I was saying we live in Oakland, California now, and we have a bigger space, but it's still not ginormous. But our space in Manhattan, you know, you get used to very confined quarters. Um. So I think we lived in 500 square feet there. Oh, and yeah. It, yeah, it worked. And we loved it. And we lived in a great neighborhood. And, you know, we really enjoyed the city. But I just really have felt for all of you in the pandemic, and in your spaces, and not always having outdoor space, and that's a lot. Yeah, we are um, living
1: in our cozy little shoebox here, um, and you know, just trying to get outside, hang at the playground, we go to the parks, and we kind of make it our own whenever we can.
0: That's good. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you made it. I'm sure at times with kids, it felt touch and go. Right. (laughs) I'd love if you could start by sharing your story and specifically what led you to become a registered dietitian and then to focus on kids nutrition. Sure. Um, So I actually
1: originally, my plan was to be pre-med in college. And I just, that was kind of what I was doing. and I was on that path. And then at some point I just kind of felt like um, something wasn't quite right. Um, I have this fascination with, you know, the human body and biology and science and all of that. And I felt like there was just something that wasn't met all the way. There was just something not there. And I realized that I just I love talking to people. <laughs> um, and I, I felt like I would miss that if I didn't um, find something that really match that love Um, and so I started doing more of the nutrition sciences and I felt like that was really the right fit. It was just like this combination of getting to know people, getting comfortable with people, talking, communication but also applying science and research and evidence-based practice Um, and so that's kind of where I ended up. Um, I finished my uh, degrees both undergraduate, graduate and registered dietitian degrees at New York University. Um, So I'm just kind of stuck in New York for good, I think, (laughs) Um, for better or for worse. Jealous. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And um, I have recently, I've worked in hospitals um, and offices with um, kids um, of all ages. And I think what drew me to kind of like this pediatric population was that I just love hanging out with kids. I just think they're so much more fun than adults. <laughs> um, you know, they definitely cry and complain, but for some reason, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Um, but then when I have an adult sitting in my office, I just think, oh. I can't deal with it. I don't, I don't know how to handle them.
0: Well, yeah, um, adults cry and complain too. So I guess it's yeah, just coming from kids. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I'm an adult who cries and complains, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I just felt like I just really enjoyed the kids and, and even more so I enjoyed the parents um, and getting to know the parents and watching the kids grow with them. Um, so it just felt like a natural fit for me. So I spent a lot of time in NICUs or neonatal intensive care units and pediatric intensive care units, um, just kind of honing in on my clinical nutrition skills. And I have recently started um, a private practice, which, um, as of you know, COVID era, is now all virtual. Um, and so it's great; I get to just kind of see kids and parents and families, you know, of all ages and backgrounds, and just you know, I can connect with everyone virtually, which is really exciting. Um so, yeah, so that's where I am today.
0: Awesome. So you're able to work with people all over the country then or all over the world even? I am.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when I started my practice, I was doing some telehealth or some kind of like FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, and I got a little bit of pushback. Everyone was saying, hey, this is so strange. Can we meet in person? And then all of a sudden it became the norm. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I started getting um, kids and families from kind of all around the country, which has been so cool. It's really just added a new element to my practice, I think.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I would love to start, one of my favorite questions to ask doctors and dietitians is the common misconceptions question. So I'd love to just hear, because we're all on social media, we all see these news headlines that are sometimes scary, Um, you know, on TV news also, things can be scary. So what are some of the most common misconceptions out there, would you say, about, or that parents have about what they should be feeding their kids?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of them. Um, and there are a lot of those out there. Um, so I would say there's this misconception that you have to do certain things. Like you have to start at six months or you have to start with rice cereal or you can't start at six months and you can't start with rice cereal. But in reality, there's just such a spectrum. There's really so many. There's so few can'ts and there's so few have to's. Um, there's so much flexibility when it comes to feeding kids. And I think that's really important and empowering for parents, because like you said, we just get so, it's information overload from all different sides and sources. Um, so, so important to know that there really is no have to and really is no can't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I find that to be really, really helpful and important.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm sure I was mentioning off air, I don't have kids yet. But I think even just feeding ourselves as adults, it can get really muddled. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that when you're responsible for another human being and hoping that that person grows and thrives, I'm sure there's just so much pressure to make all the right choices. But it sounds like there is some leeway and you can kind of navigate things and figure things out and not feel as kind of scared or stressed.
1: Yeah, there's so much leeway if you think about – how, you know, different cultures feed kids even, um, you know, it's different. It's very different and that's okay, right? All of these kids end up being being well-nourished in the end. Um, and there's so many different styles and every generation changes a little bit and we get advice from grandma and auntie and the doctor, you know, and your friends. And so I think it's so important just to find what you are most comfortable with um, and how you can most enjoy feeding your baby and feeding your kids. Um, because if you're following a rule that doesn't work for you, then it's it's just not going to be successful.
0: Mm. The six-month rule you mentioned. So can you explain more about that? Why that stands out to parents?
1: Sure. So the guidance, um, the general recommendation, and this is including from the AAP or the American Academy of Pediatrics and most other pediatric governing bodies is that we start um, introduction to foods between four and six months. That being said, there are some other things to look for. So other than just age alone, we also want babies to have good head control. We want them to be sitting a little bit independently. We want them to be interested in food, grabbing for food, lip snacking, um, showing signs of more hunger. So we want to see all of these things in addition to the age. And some babies might reach this at different times. So some babies might be ready at four and a half months and some babies might be ready at six. Um, And so we really have to take each baby individually. And that will help us kind of that will guide us in terms of what they are ready
0: for in their own
1: in their own time in their own journey.
0: Aside from rice cereal that you mentioned, what are some other great foods for that kind of introduction to it's not introduction to solid foods, right? It's just introduction introduction to not formula breast milk. Right, exactly.
1: So that's actually a really good point. So when we say introduction to solids, we often use this as kind of like an umbrella term for just starting foods. Um, and so it just, for whatever reason, has kind of just become the terminology. <laughs> um, but you're right, it's not necessarily starting solid foods. Um, though some might choose to use um, more uh a baby leg leaning approach where you actually start with larger pieces of food um, and you allow baby to explore that way. So, for example, you could take a full avocado, right, with the peel off or the skin off and let baby play around with it and put it in their mouth and gum it. And that would be totally um, appropriate and, and great exposure. Or you could choose to do something like an oatmeal cereal with a spoon. Um, So there are a few different ways to do it. There's kind of this puree camp and this baby led weaning camp and either one works or a combination of them work. Um, Some of my favorite foods to start with for babies. um, I actually love to use avocado because it's just naturally really smooth and easy to blend. I have actually started one of my babies on ground beef <laughs> really early yeah. on. Um, so I just cooked the meat and then pureed it and served it with um, breast milk or formula. Sounds silly, but it actually works really well. Um, and then I always tell parents if there's a food that you love or have around a lot, like a banana or carrots or sweet potato, you can start with those as well.
0: Oh, okay, so stuff that maybe you're already buying to eat yourself. Definitely, and yeah. And just kind of mash it up.
1: Yeah, definitely. Anything that you're eating, ultimately, the goal is for baby to eat what you're eating. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, after you've introduced a few foods, say you're having um, like pasta and meat sauce for dinner, you could throw that in a blender and give it to baby. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's flavor introduction, protein, carbs. So, yeah, definitely. The goal is to start eating the way that the family eats.
0: Oh, yeah, that's really, I don't think I've ever heard that before. So the idea being that they get accustomed to eating the things you're cooking. I guess, is it easier down the line when, does that prevent maybe the picky eater in the toddler stage? Well, it's hard to say
1: what's going to prevent that. Um, and so I would say it it just, it makes the feeding experience so much more pleasant when you don't have to go above and beyond to prepare something that you don't usually prepare. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, your baby is not terribly discerning and they don't need like a four course meal or like (laughs) some fancy recipe. Um, so if you're eating um, an onion soup, then you could puree it and give me an onion soup. Um, it just, it makes the family eating experience so much more realistic and doable if everyone's eating the same foods.
0: Right. Or maybe they're getting a four first meal, but it's just blended up. <laughs> so right. They right. don't know it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. That's a cool tip. Uh, so then what about, does every kid generally go through a picky eating stage or what is that like?
1: Yeah, I, I would say I have never met a kid who's never
0: had a picky moment.
1: Um, there are kids who have more picky moments than others, um, but it is very typical for kids to show signs of picky eating. Um, and there's certainly spectrums and degrees of this. Um, for example, toddlers will go through what we call food jags. And this is totally developmentally appropriate, where one food is like really hot for a week. They love it, can't get enough. And then the next week it's like, oh, what did you just put in front of me? How dare you? Um, And this could be, you know, a month's worth of a favorite food followed by a complete um, disinterest in it. And then it's back the next day. It's gone the next day. This is called food jogging and it's, it's totally
0: appropriate and normal. How do you re? how do you get them to like that food again? Do you just keep trying and trying?
1: Yeah. I think the key here is when we pressure kids, they, it works against us. Um, Mm -hmm you know, think about like a teenager whose parents are telling them to do something, it then becomes something that they really don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so kids kind of have this the same kind of vibe when it comes to pressure and pushing, just it's counterproductive. So I think just keeping it in the rotation um, without drawing too much attention to it is the way to go.
0: What are some of your other tips for helping parents deal with picky eaters? I know you post a lot of them on your Instagram feed, but maybe some of the top ones that you like to share?
1: Um, I would say try to have a safe food at every meal. And by safe, I mean a food that you know is more likely, most likely to be accepted. So, you know, a favorite food at that moment um, so that the meal doesn't become so stressful. And, you know, you as the adults will know that they're likely to eat at least one of the three foods on the plate. And this just allows us to kind of remove some of the stress and the anxiety around mealtime, knowing that they will have nutrition from some form of food. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say, you know, always have at least one quote-unquote safe food with one or two, you know, could be questionable foods on the plate if needed. Um, So that helps sometimes. And then the same thing with a new food so or food that you're kind of seeing is lukewarm. Um, Put a safe food and then put that newer food on the plate together. Um, and it just takes away some of that stress and um, tends to just go over a little bit better.
0: Mm, unless the safe food is now a hated food all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. Then you're really out of <laughs>
1: luck. <laughs> exactly. That's tricky. You kind of just have to know what's in style at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and use use that and if you know, it's dynamic each day. It could change.
0: Right. What are, is there a certain type of language or way you should talk about food to kind of get kids excited about trying new things? Um,
1: I love to name things
0: with silly silly names. Um, Mm. So for example,
1: um, when I'm actually one of my, with my oldest, um, she's very into princesses at the moment. (laughs) And so I have named things magic wands. So I think I had like uh, roasted carrots the other day and I said, do you want this, you know, orange magic wand? And it was like, oh, of course I want a magic wand. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, that's so, you know, you can name things, whatever you feel like, um, you know, it could be, you know, something, if it's brown, it could be mud, right? It, which could be fun. You could like say that, you know, your veggies are swimming in the mud. Um, if it's blue, it could be water, you know. Um, you could use things like, using x-ray vision um for your carrots give you x-ray vision um or cucumbers are like little crunchy sticks um Mm -hmm. so anything you think that will get your kiddo interested you can just go ahead and rename any
0: food that you want and then do you recommend cutting vegetables and fruits and new foods into kind of different sizes and textures or approaching them with different utensils kind of to build interest and intrigue or yes yes i love doing this you can use things like kebabs so kebab sticks are really
1: fun you can put cheese you can put fruit you can put veggies on them um and then it just takes on a new form and it's exciting um you can use like the toothpicks with sparklers on the end and they can be the utensil for the meal so maybe instead of forks for dinner we're using um like sparkler toothpicks you can do that. Um, cookie cutters are great for fruits and veggies, even sandwiches or wraps you can cut with a with a cookie cutter. And again, find your kiddos interest. So if they're really into dinosaurs then um go ahead and get some dinosaur cookie cutters on Amazon um, mm. or some, you know, toothpicks that have a little dinosaur at the end. So definitely change up the utensils once in a while. Um, it's a good way to kind of get out of a food rut and make things a little more exciting.
0: Do kids who eat a wider variety of foods when they're younger, are they typically less picky as life goes on or is that not a thing?
1: You know, it's so hard to say. I don't think that we have concrete evidence um, when it comes to this because there's so many different factors involved in picky eating. It's environment, it's, um, you know, it might be uh, an approach to texture, or mouth sensation, or, you know, there might be an aversion of sorts. So it's so different for each kid. Um, so we kind of have to go on the assumption that, yes, the more diverse their palate is in the beginning, the more open they'll be later on. Um, but that doesn't mean that picky toddlers or picky babies um, will never go on to accept certain foods. It's mm-hmm. just, um, it's kind of, we don't know. We just don't know why some kids are
0: yeah, it's so fascinating. Um my husband is the eldest of seven and his the youngest one is 16 right now. And so my sister-in-law, <laughs> but when I first met her, I just found it so interesting because she lo- when I met her, I think she was 9 and she her favorite foods were soup, especially clam chowder and oysters, which was shocking to me for a 9-year-old. <laughs> and I don't think the others, you know, had eaten those things yet or I don't know that. I mean, how did that happen? You know, <laughs> It's just so interesting. How do you feel about parents, quote unquote, sneaking fruits and veggies into kids meals? I see kind of two different schools of thought on that.
1: Yeah. So this is so interesting. And, it, you know, it's such a like a generational shift. I feel like it used to be really in style to do this and then it went out of style I don't know that it needs to be called sneaking. I think you'd just be simply putting vegetables in foods. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that we really need to approach it as a, as a secret or something sneaky. Um, there's nothing wrong with just putting vegetables in other foods, right? Like meatballs could, could have, you know, shredded spinach in them and that's Okay. Um, you know, and if the baby or the toddler is eating it and doesn't like that part, then you can say, yeah, there's some spinach in there. Do you want me to just move it to the side for you? Or do you want to work around it? You know? Um, so I definitely, I don't love the idea of sneaking anything. And also kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. Um, and it doesn't work. (laughs) It often Mm -hmm. backfires. So Mm -hmm. I would say instead of thinking of it as sneaking, I would just say, you're just adding it in simply
0: put. I know there's a broad spectrum in terms of ages of kids. What, what ages specifically would you say that you work with? Do you work with just through toddler age or?
1: Um, So I actually work with as young as infants or, you know, newborns or, or coo babies um,
0: through, I would say young adults. So like teenagers teenagers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Then this question will be great. Um, How much protein do kids need at different stages of their life?
1: Um, So there's definitely actual numbers for this. um, And we can look it up and and actually get the numbers for that. Um, But generally speaking, kids do meet their protein needs pretty easily. Um, And so as long as there's a source of protein at each meal, generally, you're good to go. Um, so I tell parents not to worry about numbers specifically and more about diversity and, um, the quality of the food. So again, as long as there is a
0: protein pretty much, you know, three times a day at each meal, you're mostly covered. Got it. And then what are some of the best proteins for kids or maybe the ones that are the most approachable for them?
1: Um, so interesting. I just was actually getting a post ready for this to do um, like no fuss packaged proteins mm. um, because I think sometimes we think about how we have to like make a huge steak or a fancy chicken recipe, um, but actually protein can be really simple. So something as simple as just sliced cheese is a good protein. Um, beans that are ready to already cooked are, are great. It's a good source of protein. Um, edamame is a great source of protein and kids will often, especially the older ones or the teens love to just pop edamame. You can get frozen edamame and just add sea salts or you can get it already salted. It's super easy. Um, and then of course there are the obvious ones like the poultry and the meat. Um, so really any protein works. Um, even just a quick hard boiled egg does the trick.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And then what about milk? Should kids be drinking milk? Are there so many alternative milks out there now? What are your thoughts on cow's milk, I guess?
1: Um, I'm a big fan of dairy fat for kids who can have it, right? Of course, there are kids who may be allergic or sensitive to it, and that's a different story. Um, And for them, we certainly just want to make sure that we find an alternative um, or just get calcium from other sources. I think dairy fat is really important for kids. Um, and I'm all for it. That being said, I have a baby who never took milk (laughs) after transitioning from breast milk. He just would not have it and does not drink milk. Um, I've tried everything in the book. So it is definitely not, um, the be all end all. You can still get the same nutrition, um, elsewhere. You can still get it through other foods, but, um, if kids are open to it and they like it, I think it's a really great source of healthy fat, protein, um, vitamins,
0: minerals. So I'm, I'm all for it. And then do you recommend alternative milks as well, like oat or almond, or would you say stick to cow's milk or dairy milk?
1: I find that um, if dairy milk is well tolerated by the child, then it's, it's usually the best choice. Um, a lot of the alternative milks unfortunately do have a lot of additives, so you just have to work to find one that's more natural. And then um, you do want to make sure that you're getting the vitamin D in there um, which is often missing in some of the alternative milks and you're avoiding things like the added sugars. So as long as you find a more natural version, I think
0: it's okay. But if you can, I would stick with dairy milk. Got it. And then what about juice? I know this is probably a hot topic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a no juice kind of person. Um, I think it should be reserved for random occasions. Um, I don't think that juice really needs to be in the home unless it's like a, an occasion, right? So, you know, I, I was at a farmer's market the other day and I found apple juice and I was so excited about it and it was really exciting and we drank it and all the kids loved it. Um, but I would say on, you know, usually or on a normal basis, I would try to avoid it um, just so that we don't have too much extra sugar floating around.
0: Are a lot of those juice or they're not juices, but they're like those smoothie packs. Do a lot of those have a bunch of added sugar or are they more kind of not added sugar, natural sugar? Um, You mean like the Naked juices or like, like, yeah. Oh, do they make those for kids too? The little pouches?
1: Oh, they do make pouches. Yeah. Um, But I would say like a a lot of these juices on the market do have added sugar. Yeah, And then the other part of it is, if you just juice a fruit, for example, then you are missing a lot of good stuff. You're missing the fiber from the pulp. Um, And if you just have the juice, then it's just not as good as eating the real thing. so, and it's a big, it's a significant sugar load, right? So I think like it's like one of those things that isn't the worst thing. I would say once in a while, go for it. You know, if you're out of there or you find something exciting, try it. But um, I think I would steer clear on the regular. Right. That makes
0: sense. What about, I know I see parents posting or feeling concerned um, that maybe their kids just want to eat the same things. How, is that okay to give foods the, kids the same foods every day or should the goal really be to introduce new foods
1: i think the goal is to introduce new foods um when we have diversity we get different vitamins different minerals different proteins um different fats different carbs right so diversity i think is always the goal that being said um reality check right like mm-hmm. kids are going to eat a lot of the same stuff um, and that's fine as long as overall you're trying to balance it with variety um, and it's not literally the same thing every day. Um, it's okay. It's definitely okay to be repetitive. It's okay to use leftovers. It's okay to have, you know, the same dinner, you know, a couple of days in a row as long as breakfast and lunch are different. Um, yeah. Use snacks to get in some
0: different foods, but it's definitely okay for kids to have favorites and to kind of
1: honor those
0: comforts. Kind of like adults, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have
0: favorites. I would say we, in this house, we eat kind of the same things. Yeah. With a little tweak on them here and there, but over and over we kind of make the same stuff, so. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's normal human habit, and I think um,
1: especially for busy parents, it's hard to try to get something different every single night or every lunch, and breakfast, especially now many of us are working from home, and it's just, it's hard. It's really tough. Um, so I think as long as there's a repertoire, like as long as there's multiple favorite foods um, or multiple kind of same foods, so to speak, um, then that's fine. I think the goal is always diet expansion, but being realistic and kind of allowing those favorites frequently is okay too.
0: You mentioned snacks and I'm wondering, do kids need snacks? And if so, how many snacks a day? I'm a huge fan of snacks
1: for kids think it's really helpful for a lot of reasons um I think some meals are just not uh sometimes they just don't go well like there's a meltdown or they're too tired or um it ends up just not being great and having snacks built into the day kind of takes the pressure off of the meal um and it allows kids to just catch up on any nutrition that they're missing from meals So I'm a big fan. I generally say, you know, depends on the age, but mostly, you know, starting in toddlerhood, I would say the goal is three meals and two to three snacks per day.
0: Hmm. What do you do if you're a parent and let's say your kid doesn't want to eat dinner, maybe often, or do they just generally compensate and eat a bigger breakfast?
1: Yeah, so they, they do usually compensate. It might not be that day. It might not be the next meal. Um, it might not be breakfast um, that morning. Um, but eventually, they do generally compensate. And of course, there are exceptions here, right? Like if you're finding that your kiddo is routinely skipping meals or really having a hard time, then you definitely want to pay attention to that and, and get some support um, just to kind of make it a little bit easier. So whether it's getting in touch with someone like myself, like a dietitian or a feeding therapist or chatting with pediatrician, um, You know, there are kids who will need some extra support. But overall, meal skipping happens. Um, and I like to say there's always going to be one not great meal. So I would say, generally speaking, normal would be one good meal, one eh meal, and one meal.
0: <laughs> mm. And are most kids kind of consistent with their good meal or it just changes all the time? I would say they go
1: in phases, you know, mm-hmm.
0: um, in my
1: house right now, one of my kids is just like not a breakfast person. It just doesn't end up happening. And then, um, she's a huge dinner person. Right. And then every few weeks, this kind of changes, um, and rebalances itself. So it's some kids are consistent and some kids will kind of alternate.
0: Mm-hmm. What are some of the traditional kind of things you could offer, let's say for a toddler for, healthy breakfast foods, lunch foods, and dinners? Like what are some of the things you give your kids often?
1: Um, So I would say to think about it as um, breakfast foods don't have to be breakfast foods and dinner mm. foods don't have to be dinner foods. So um, for example, if you have a kiddo who's not that into you know, the typical breakfast foods, or you feel like you just don't, you're not able to make the typical breakfast foods, then you can go for something like chicken for breakfast. That's fine. Um, you can always do, you know, chicken with a fruit and an avocado, right? Um, so you don't have to follow that meal um, kind of typical structure if you don't want to. But I would say always look for your protein and kind of build around it. So cheese, yogurt, cottage cheese, ricotta cheese, these are great. Um, to use at any meal, if you're a dairy eating keto. Um, and then I think using things like nut butters is really helpful. It just adds a little bit of protein and healthy fat to a lot of things. You can add it to oatmeal, you can add it to toast, you can add it to your yogurt. Um, so I would say dairy
0: and nut butters tend to be my go-tos. So, and then you were saying kids kind of will alternate with what, you, what meal they eat more of or less of are they pretty self-regulating? Should parents just kind of know that their kid will eat when hungry and won't when not? Or is, like you said, it's maybe special cases here and there, but do kids generally kind of self-regulate their hunger?
1: Yeah, actually very well said, (laughs) they do. Um, They most often will self-regulate. Kids have very strong sense of um, full and hungry. And as we get older, that um, ability to sense those feelings actually decreases and it's harder for us to figure out when we're full and when we're hungry. But kids have a much more intact sensation for those things. Um, So we definitely want to listen to them. They know usually better than we do when they're hungry and when they're full.
0: Hmm. I'm curious to know your thoughts on whenever you go to a restaurant, the kid's menu is all mostly fried foods or not the healthiest options. Just kind of why is that still a thing? Or is it just because restaurants, I don't know, are fun foods? I don't think I've ever seen, maybe there's things like a hamburger, which maybe could be a little bit healthier, but why is that? Do you think that it's kind of kid foods are labeled as? I don't know, fried or
1: yeah. processed foods? I, why is that? It's a good <laughs>
0: question. <laughs> I
1: wish I really, I really wish I knew. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that that is very often the case. And I mean, there's a few ways to go about this. One is if you generally have a pretty healthy home and you feel like your kids have a pretty diverse diet and you're generally kind of staying away from fried foods and you get a decent amount of fruits and veggies in there, then going to a restaurant is a good opportunity to say, you know, hey let's order off the kids menu, right? Let's, Mm -hmm. this is the time to have chicken nuggets and french fries. And that's fine. I think teaching that to kids is really important that we don't have to deny them, you know, a common food. We don't have to feel guilty or upset about it. Um, but rather just enjoy what's there. So I, I would say that's the approach I would take at restaurants. Um, I think also, realistically, taking kids to a restaurant is, is not always easy. Um, there's tantrums. They need distraction, um, It's hard to sit still. So, you know, having a novel food is actually a great way to make it a fun experience. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the goal is just healthy household. And then it allows us to have these kinds of chicken nuggets kind of fiestas once
0: in a while. Right. I mean, so many of the things you're saying remind me of working with clients with nutrition. It's, you know, what you eat most of the time matters more than what you eat every so often. So fun foods are fine. Um, But yeah, it is so interesting because, you know, you'll be at a restaurant and there's all these fantastic foods on the menu. And then the kids menu, it's usually, you know, like chicken fingers and fries and stuff. And I don't think it's really like that in a lot of other countries, or I haven't seen that as much, or maybe it's kind of trending that way more now. Um, but I guess that's kind of an interesting American thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again, like as a parent, I just think that we can't get hung up on it. We just have to kind of throw our hands up and say like, okay, this is what we're going to eat today. Um, and I think it's so important that kids see how flexibility plays into this. Um, you know, like there are times for junk food and there are times that it's, it's not appropriate to
0: have junk food.
1: Um, so showing them those times is, is part of the overall lesson and, and it's okay.
0: And something else I hear you saying is just the importance of not sort of demonizing foods or labeling foods as bad because I'm sure that then later in life could lead to maybe disordered eating or other problems down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, I mean, kids look at us so much for, for attitude and approach. And I think when we show them, um, just what you said, that it it, we don't, we don't have to feel one way or the other, we don't have to feel sad or upset about something. We just have to again, like know what the normal is, right. And the normal is general healthy eating. Um, and we don't have to feel badly about foods ever. Um, something that I, a tip that I once heard and has really helped me a lot is to offer um, a piece of like a cookie or something with a meal. And I've found that to be really helpful in my own household um, when I have a kid or one, one of mine are asking for a cookie or something that's like a junk food and it's dinner time. And instead of getting all riled up and saying, no, it's not cookie time, it's chicken time. Um, I just put like half of the cookie on the dinner plate. And I find that it works really well. It, it kind of takes away that stigma of I have to eat in order to get another food. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, interesting. Do they usually eat the cookie first? Yes,
1: definitely. Because <laughs> I would too.
0: <laughs> Who wouldn't want to eat the cookie first? Yeah, Especially when there's sprinkles involved. It's really hard to resist. I think it would be more concerning if they didn't eat the cookie first. Right. <laughs> be like, what is wrong with this kid? <laughs> I would also love to know your thoughts on supplementation. Is it important for most kids to take some type of multivitamin or is that not important? as important if they're getting a lot of whole food variety?
1: So if kids are eating, um, a variety, so if you're having like vegetables and fruit each day, so I would say if you're having at least, you know, two servings of a vegetable or a fruit each day and, you know, getting most of your meals in, then a multivitamin generally is not necessary. Um, there are some exceptions, of course, definitely the more picky eaters, I would say a multivitamin is a good idea. It's kind of like a little insurance plan. It just provides backup. It just you know, gives us a little relief that they are getting the vitamins and the minerals they might be missing out on. Um, a child who has something like celiac disease or um, extensive food allergies where they're eliminating um, whole food groups or multiple food groups, I would say they definitely should take a multivitamin too.
0: Mm. A lot of what you've been saying, I'm, I guess, not surprised by, but it seems a lot of feeding kids also is just how can you as a parent feel kind of confident and less stressed like the restaurant situation or if a multivitamin multivitamin helps you maybe to feel better that your kid is getting all of their nutrition needs met, then maybe that's a good option. Um, But I didn't, I guess, before I talked to you realized that realize that the parents kind of well being also matters a lot in kids' nutrition.
1: Yeah. It's so important because they can really sense it. um and so I think our stress really rubs off on them and so our approach to food really dictates their approach to food in a lot of ways and it's so hard as a parent to like avoid that temptation to be so stressed (laughs) Um,
0: yeah
1: parenting is so hard um so I yeah I I feel that whatever you know when I'm working with clients really whatever I can do to kind of empower you or to help you feel safer or more comfortable ultimately affects
0: your child for the best. And I think, again, I don't have kids, but it seems like kids are pretty resilient, right?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, think of how many of us grew up on ice cream and
0: cookies every day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Lots of ultra processed foods and different yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to be, you know, generally they're going to be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, think about how much food coloring we all had. I mean, whether you grew up in the 80s or the 70s or the 90s, I mean, we've all had some really wacky foods out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of different food fads and phases. And so definitely resilient, definitely.
0: Well, I, again, so grateful for your time. But the final question I'd love to ask that I ask all of my guests is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? And feel free to take that gearing it towards children or just in general, however you want to tackle that one?
1: Sure. Um, I think just thinking about um, realistic and practical ways to just make eating more fun and just less stressful is really important. Um, Again, I like to say that the family should always eat pretty much the same stuff. So even if they're not all sitting down together or not eating at the same time, or if one is pureed and one is in pieces, or one is taking big bites and one is eating out of the spoon, um, you know, trying to get everyone to eat the same stuff is so important. um, And I think can really just help us kind of maintain our sanity as parents. And so I would say just kind of jumping in and thinking about feeding as like a whole household um, and just ways to make it doable, realistic, and and hopefully fun.
0: I love that tip. I don't think I've ever heard that before. But even not having kids yet and thinking, oh, they could just eat what I eat. <laughs> you yeah. Know, for the you don't have to make separate meals for everybody. It's just kind right. of. Right. It's kind of I guess also the approach that we probably grew up with eating dinner of like this is what's being served, so this is what we're having. Um, But what do you do if, I mean, you said it's fine sometimes for kids not to eat dinner, but what is your approach if the kid wants kind of like a separate meal all the time as they get older? Or is that just kind of something that develops if parents allow that?
1: So I think it's a combination. I think kids certainly will ask for it and it will depend on your comfort as a parent. You know, if you're someone who actually enjoys cooking or maybe your um your toddler or your teenager wants to go ahead and cook the other meal with you and you have time for that, um, then that's totally okay. Um, it really depends on your comfort level but ultimately i would say my approach is yeah i mean this is what's for dinner um and this is part of why i love snacks so much um, you can build in an evening snack um we call it the nighttime snack in my house and it's right before bed and um, i know that one of my kids in particular is not great at around dinner time and so building in that evening snack has been really helpful um so just putting in place like kind of roadblocks or like little stops to make sure that your kid is getting what they need is, is okay. You know, you have to kind of judge what makes the most sense for you. Um, so yeah, I would overall, everyone eats the same thing, but, um, if you're able
0: to or comfortable, you can make little tweaks here or there. Mm-hmm. And I guess that goes, like you said, personalization, you as a parent, if that's going to cause you extreme stress every night mm-hmm. to be making multiple meals, then that's probably not the way to go. Exactly. Where can listeners follow and find you? I know I mentioned your Instagram, but what is your handle and are you on Facebook? Where are you?
1: Yeah. So you can definitely follow me on Instagram, um, at the kids nutritionist and, um, please send questions my way. That's how I find my best topics to cover. Um, So, and then you can also book, um, On my profile, you can just give a click on the link and you can book a session to chat with me um, to do. I like to do kind of like a 10 minute discovery call to see if it's a good fit, if we want to work together um, and just give you a better sense of, of how I might be able to help if it's something that you're interested in. Um, so find me on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook as Ayala Um, just my name. And um, yeah, stay tuned. I'm kind of growing the practice, so um, I'll keep you posted where else I end up.
0: Awesome, exciting! I'll put links to both of those social media outlets in the show Great. notes and. Thank you. Thanks again so much. I know it's now what, 8.49 PM your time. So about time for you to go to bed, but just (laughs) truly appreciate you being here and sharing all this awesome knowledge with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition, and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.